Fleetway Incorporated is a reliable and speedy courier. They only employ the best ex-highwaymen and former pirates, so you know your precious cargo is in safe hands. With the region's largest stable of Pegasi, next day delivery is almost guaranteed. Extra charges apply for deliveries free of Pegasus dung. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial Tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I, as always, am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ. And with me today is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild Role Players. Russ, as ever, it's a complete pleasure to be here. And but we wait, have a guest. We do. Who is this behatted man? Uh, well, do you know, it's, it's not often that you get, to, you get to talk to somebody who's created an entire world, is it? It's not, it's not an everyday occurrence. Well, well, it might be for you, Keith. I mean, how often do you talk to yourself? I talk to myself yeah. all the time. That's how you create worlds. Uh, so hi, everyone. I'm Keith Baker. I am indeed the creator of Eberron, and I have also made a number of other games like Gloom, Phoenix Dawn Command, Illimat. But yes, that is that is the latest, and I am very excited this about it. This is it, yes. Yeah. It is very, very... I showed it to my dad yesterday, and my dad is... Uh, He's not a gamer. He doesn't even know what an RPG is. Yeah. Um, he hasn't watched any Game of Thrones even. He doesn't hasn't watched Star Wars. Nothing like this. But wow. I showed this to him yesterday because I was, you know, mm-hmm. boning mm-hmm. up, ready for ready for today. He was having a look at it through, and he was like, "Ooh, it's very, it's very well presented, isn't it?" <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> well, I, I particularly uh, like the. The newspaper articles in there because oh. I could imagine if you know nothing at all about gaming, you could still read those newspaper articles and yeah. feel like you were getting a sense of it. Yeah, I, I did. I did try to persuade him to actually read a bit of it, but that was maybe too big an ask. Uh, bridge too yeah. far. Yeah, uh, maybe one day. One day, I'll get my dad to play D and D. First, <laughs> I have to explain to him what D and D is. I, then I'll get my dad to play D and D. I will say my role-playing game Phoenix Dawn Command. I released a couple years ago. The I mm. you know ran it with all sorts of different people, and my favorite game I ran was for two podcasters. Uh, mm. Someone's you know was one of the the guys like eleven year old nephew who'd only played like Pokemon, uh, yeah. and then his seventy year old father who'd never played a role-playing game before. Wow. How did that go? It went really well. And what was yeah. interesting is that uh, the father was a, a former army medic. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting because he totally got the concept of the adventure and, and just totally got it. Uh, but part of it was they were dealing with a zombie outbreak. And it was actually very interesting because a lot of times adventurers are just going to like, oh, just cut up the zombies. Whereas he was yeah. totally like trying to figure out the vector of infection and like what That's can right. we do. And, it was, and I was like, this is good stuff. You know, so was, as I said, it was one of my favorite games. It was a really good uh, yeah, really awesome. job. Uh, uh, yeah, aren't you a little overqualified for a murder hobo? Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was amazing, yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure Russ's dad, if he starts reading some Len Dayton or something, get or maybe a bit of a Lacar- bit, bit of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy with a bit of Lacari in there as well. Ooh, that's he'll an be, idea. He'll that's, be, that's the hook, yeah. Ooh, that might work. Like you know, I mean, if I want to, if I want to run something in the Cold War, then everyone is sort of looking quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, should we should we do some should we do some news? Dive yes. into the news, and then we can uh, we can talk about Eberron for as long as until until we get fed up of talking about Eberron. There you are. As long as we like. This this are you sure us? 
<laughs> quite a long time. I will I say I had. We'll get fed up talk about it. I, I do think the longest I've had a Q and A yeah. session that went on for yeah. three hours, wow. and uh, and it could have kept going on, but it was like okay, at this point, I do have other things to do. Uh, so so yeah. Anyhow, carry on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right then. So first up in the news. Chaosium is producing the Red Hand of Fate. It's a game by Pedro Ziviani. I don't know much about this, but I I wonder if some of our listeners might know. Have you you heard of this, Keith, either? No. Now, is it related to the Red Hand of Doom, or is it completely unrelated? Because if it's completely unrelated, that's unfortunate, in my opinion. (laughs) I know absolutely nothing about it. All I know is there is a... It's a a mystery to me. It's a a preview list you can sign up to. Oh. Okay. Uh, you can stick your email address in and hit uh, and uh, hit subscribe, and uh, they'll send you previews, let you know when their Kickstarter's going to launch. But other than that, this is a Brazilian Icelandic designer, Pedro Ziviani, and it's a game apparently about love, poetry, and Japanese shapeshifters. So, so there I have it again. That yes, that that sounds fascinating, sounds great. But when I hear the title, I immediately think it's a sequel to Red Hand of Doom. <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah. huh? All right. Uh, I mean, it is being produced by Chaosium, so no, you're like, and, oh, that's that's a bit odd. As soon as They're that came up, D&D, as but, soon as that came up, I was yeah. like, that's that's a wacky twist, you know. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, as I say, sounds great. I I just uh, am a little sad about the title. I'd have made it the, the oh, blue okay. hand of doom. Chartreuse. <laughs> oh, possibly, possibly the uh, the silver hand of doom. Crimson hand. I mean, you could, Crimson. you know. Now we're talking some ejected in there. Uh, obviously not the Chartreuse hand of doom. That would be unfortunate. Um, so red hand of fate. Unfortunate name. But sounds like a really interesting sounds concept. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, I, so, mm-hmm. I love Iceland as well. So, you know, I'm happy for anything coming out of Iceland. So, so next in the news, uh, yes. do, do either of you remember a state? Mm, no, a state. It's, uh, it's kind of one word with you know uh, what, what are they called? That, that punctuation mark, which is just a vertical line. Yep, a pipe. So it's a vertical line state. What's it called? Mm. That thing. Pipe. A pipe. Yeah, a big pipe. Maybe a pipe. So a state. So it's a. Uh, it was uh, released back in two thousand and four. Yep. by Contested Ground Studios. And it's kind of uh, gothic, horror, sci-fi, cyberpunk, um, with gas lamps and superstition, all set in this city that you cannot leave. Sounds okay. good. So back in 2004, it won a few awards. Uh, wow. And there's just been a trailer released by Handiwork Studios, which is headed up by uh, John Hodgson, who used to work at Cubicle 7. All right. Mm-hmm. Before Cubicle Seven moved to uh, moved to Ireland, and this is going to use the Blades in the Dark system. Oh, nice! Ah, uh, yes. And there's a, that, there's a, that, that would makes a lot of sense with the whole being in a city you can't leave sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I never played it originally. I was vaguely I was vaguely aware of its existence, but that's about as far as it went. But this is a um, yeah. This is presumably a second edition. It's quite it's a little vague, Ooh. but uh, it's a trailer that you can watch. Uh, uh, what would you say? The game itself is set in the city, isolated from the outside world, a place riven by horrors, plagued by inhumanity, and crushed under the weight of its own population. Sounds cool. I'll so check it out. out. This yeah. is a state or a pipe state. 
Yes. Well, I presume it's just pronounced a state. A state. But you don't Not know. I mean, they could be pronouncing you, the pipe. Well, you don't, you don't usually pronounce punctuation, but um, I don't know, Peter, you, you may well do. It depends. Like um, apostrophes are sort of not pronounced by omission. Hmm. Generally, punctuation indicates you're not pronouncing something. To be fair, well, not always. Oh. Apostrophes, capital letters, apostrophes, oh. full stops, capital letters, exclamation marks, question marks. Well, see, exclamation marks and question marks. Exactly, they are pronounced question because marks? you're either being extra loud or saying hmm. Uh, so you yeah, know exactly. there could be an accent. To the to the state to the pipe, a state oh. exactly. French accent. So see, since it's, <laughs> since it's in the middle of the words, I like the rising in the middle. A state. And then down again. Yeah. You know. No, I think going peak for, like, halfway Chinese through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go with that. Let's let's assume, unless we're told otherwise. Let's just assume that that's 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 how it works. <laughs> oh, like a radio frequency. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. That's I'm, I'm sure everyone will know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> yep. talk to them. Well, those people that still do tune in radios. Yep, yep. Doesn't everyone? <laughs> no, anyway. they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, get on with it, right? <clears throat> so, uh, we mentioned this briefly last week, yes. and now it has launched. It is yes. uh, that time of year where we have our great big podcast poll. Oh, yes, that's right. Mm. Uh, oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Ianworld.org is doing a big, massive poll at the moment to see to for nominations, or have nominations closed? The now? nominations have it's closed, and we are voting, no. and you know that, because oh. I told you that the other day, and you even responded, so... Oh, yes, well, I'm, I'm sad because I paying any attention. <laughs> I, I would, of course, plug my uh, my podcast, Manifest Zone, where we talk about Everon. But you know, there you are. Yes. It has been nominated, I believe, has it not? Yes, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it has been. Nominated. Yeah, it's nominated in the talk category. So there's two categories: there's talk and there's actual play. Yes. Yep, yep. I probably, I probably don't need to explain what those are, but uh, we are well, in the talk category. The, well, the well, thing... well, great, great news for us. We're going up yeah. against Keith Baker's oh, podcast. <laughs> well, no, you're <laughs> not, you see, because year. Manifest Zone is actually an actual play podcast. It's just oh. that the game we are playing is a game in which we are podcasters uh, talking about Eberron. Uh, so see, it's like a meta. Oh, you're getting so meta with this. Yeah, anyway. Yes. <laughs> this right. is like, so plausible for this a is like that, that, that Chris oh. Nolan film with all the dreams within dreams, yes. isn't it? What was, what was Inception. Inception, yeah. Uh, Inception, yeah. yes. Yeah. There we go. So, so, so the two uh, polls... Yes. The podcast. Oh, yes, right. yes. If you could cast your mind back that far. All right, <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah. What a yes. great idea. Yeah, um, yeah. The two polls. So, so we, we established we weren't going to win this year. <laughs> no. Well, we didn't. We didn't win <laughs> last so year. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you're better than Manifest Zone. You know, I believe in you. I'm having a great time so far. <laughs> Oh, we like you, Keith. You can yeah. come back anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will finish this sentence. <laughs> Good luck. Go, Russ. You can do it. <laughs> I, I, we believe. I've almost forgotten what the sentence is. Uh, I will, I will uh, finish it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, carry on. Um, yes, so the two polls are up. Uh, they will be up until January the 1st, New Year's Day. And then we will announce the uh, top 10 in each category during January, during this very podcast. 
Woo! Not, not this, this very, very podcast. podcast. Yeah, now, this is going to be a future, very long time. <laughs> in we future really episode, are going to be talking about Eberron this podcast uh, forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm the only person who's got access to the statistics. So okay. I'm, I'm kind of looking at it in the background in kind of almost real time. And it's quite interesting that you see, as various podcasts come aware that the, uh, the voting is open, you see the waves oh. of their supporters sort of come in and start voting mm-hmm, yep. for that podcast and some sort of uh, associated podcasts that are friends of that podcast mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And you just okay. see these, every few hours, just this wave come in of some mm. different, pod- yeah, some different podcast fans. It's, it's fascinating to watch. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I'm, still waiting. I'm still waiting for our wave, but, you know, I'm sure it will happen. I'll come right after uh, this. I, People didn't know they could I'm, vote I'm yet. sure our listeners are poised, poised, waiting to come and vote for us. And when we see the big spike for the Manifesto Zone... And our podcast, then we'll, 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 we'll know it works. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everyone's a fan of our podcast. Of course they yeah. are. Why wouldn't they be? Yeah. <laughs> they just suit everyone else's face. That's right. Oh, <laughs> oh dear, dear. Get on with it. Get on with it. <laughs> Get on with it. Uh, right, we've got some gift guides because this is our last episode before Christmas. Gift guides. Oh, yes. uh, we have yeah. two gift guides. Uh, mm-hmm. We have one for the. Uh, Finest, most expensive things in role playing. Oh, yeah. Should your should your budget stretch that far? And then we've got a maybe more pragmatic gift guide. All right. For those who don't want yeah. to spend three hundred dollars on a set of dice. No. But Charlie, that would be me. To be fair, I do want to spend three hundred dollars on a set of dice. I just realistically yes. cannot. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> if I, I I wish I were in the position where such a thing were a casual purchase for me. However, uh, $200. If you were to spend $200, yes. you can buy for your loved ones yes. a fully painted miniature scale falling star sailing ship. It's actually $250. Mm. Um, I think we mentioned what? it on the podcast before. A boarding star sailing ship. Falling star. Falling, falling star. star. It's, it's a ship made out. A falling star. It's it's made out oh. of a falling star. That seems yes, odd. That yes, would be yes. Yeah. Now it's a ship called the Falling Star because um, yeah, ships ships. Don't know if you knew this. Have names, and you refer to them by those names. I've seen I'm, a little confusion on, on on Peter's face there. He's uh, ships yep. names. I don't, I don't understand. Bodie McBoatface. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I am. Get out. <laughs> I am actually looking forward to in uh, in uh, February or is this March. From whiskey? It's from WizKids, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it's a WizKids thing. Oh, it, that's a big old boy there. Yeah, in February yeah. or March, I know that they're doing a Sky Coach for Eberron, Ooh. Uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. You know, smaller than that, I think it's a paltry $70. Uh, <laughs> but but that I might have to get just because it's Eberron. Yeah, yeah. Surely they send you a free one, Keith. You would hope, but I doubt it. Yeah. We'll see. It would be nice because there's a whole Eberron minis line coming out, and I want all of it. Yeah. But we, we're just saying, if you're listening, makers of this, there's no chance. That's right. Hints. That's right. Yeah, we should start a campaign. <laughs> maybe, maybe one of those things that you those. Uh, oh, I'll play a warlock. Those petitions that you <laughs> you sign online. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, very oh, nice. Very yeah. nice. Oh. No. Uh, uh, and now I want to do that in reverse, and yeah, just tell my players, "Hey, I want to start a new game, a new campaign. Are you in?" And when they show up, just say, "Just sign here." Yes, that's that's all. <laughs> I thought that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, two hundred and fifty dollars. 
Should you have $250 burning a hole in your pocket, waiting to be spent on a gift from a fellow gamer, you could buy the Masks of Nia. Nia of it. (laughs) The Masks of Nia. I thought that was just the Masks of Nia. (laughs) Yeah, Yes, I did it. I got the word out. the leatherette slipcase set. I've actually played that campaign as well and carefully avoided ever saying that word at all. We played it for about 18 months, I think. Anyway, this is a leatherette slipcase set. It's very nice. It's very expensive. So, $252. For Monty Cook oh, games. Got, oh, actually, what? I found the slipcase set. So it looks, yeah, you got DM screen, uh, three books. That looks like a lot, a lot of handouts um, and player aids and so forth, and uh, quite a nice world map. Hmm. So yeah, um, but two hundred fifty dollars is quite steep. But you know, if I'd bought it, I would not feel that I had uh, been stinted. Hmm. Okay, so $252 from Monty Cook Games is... Oh, wait. Can you guess? Well, I mean, I have to say, wasn't Invisible Sun like $500? I mean, I feel that this is probably just a module for Invisible Sun. No, this is it. This is a big black cube, $252 on Amazon. Uh, Well, it's got to be Invisible Sun then. What is it? It is. That's it. That's exactly it. Oh, it's now half price. Big black cube containing four hardcover books, thousand cards, hundreds of other components... That's the yeah. one. All right. Well, there you are. Was it? Was it? Was it five hundred originally? Then on Kickstarter, I could be wrong, and 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 it might have been. It might have been with extra stuff, or I might just be remembering wrong. I remembered it was extremely expensive, was. and I was like, it "Boy, was. I wish I could drop, you know, drop that much money on on a black cube." But good to know, I have a second chance. It is, it is I think, a positive sign that our industry has now reached a point where there is a sub market for these really expensive luxury products. Like. Oh, for sure. And I think what's great about that is that, uh, you know, the Black Cube contains these various books, but what it doesn't mention is there's no way to open it. You know, you just know. You have to take on faith. Yeah, that there's there. books inside. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I trust Monty Cook. I believe that he has, sent, you me, should. I believe that he has should. sent me some books. I don't need to see them. <laughs> see, it's that kind of credibility that means he can sell you a $500 cube. Which you have no way of accessing books of it in. Yes. <laughs> exactly that. Anyway. So, well done, okay. So, it's now on Amazon. 252 for people with uh, that sort of money building a hole in pockets. You can acquire it there. And uh, have everything for. What's it? No, Invisible Sun. Invisible Sun. Yes. In, uh, is Invisible yeah. Sun. Yes, it is Invisible Sun. It's like sun. a sun that's visible, yeah. but you can't see it. Right. Interesting. Hmm. Well, if we go up to $300, you can pick up those D&D Sapphire mm. Anniversary Dice from Wizards of the Coast. Yes, mm-hmm. all those exciting gem dice. Yes! $299. Embedded in one of the D20s is a lab-grown sapphire. And also you get a high-quality dice box and a matching dice tray and 5th edition stats of the Sapphire Dragon. Well, there you mm. go. And some commemorative yeah. stickers as well. They make that. They make that. They make <laughs> yeah. I, I will just my, say. They have my attention. <laughs> shall, shall, shall we yeah. go up to four hundred of your finest American dollars? Ooh, okay. For four. That's a lot. For four hundred. That's actually four hundred and fifty dollars. You can get. Right. You have to really love someone to get them this. The Black Dragon Trophy Plaque. 
Oh, that's that. Uh, is that the thing that's a uh, head? Yes, that you oh. mount on the wall, black. and it's a black dragon. Oh, okay, that makes much more sense. I just thought it was just a a, a plaque, just you know, <laughs> black yeah. dragon. Oh. Love it. You know, uh, it's just uh, a piece it, of cardboard it, it, with the word. <laughs> someone's got a sharpie uh, and just written it, black dragon across it. I've I've always uh, liked if that's D and D's black dragon. I have always liked their their heads, but. Uh, it's about yeah, it's about four cubic foot something like that. It's pretty pretty. It's big. quite so. It's um, made of foam, rubber, and latex, carefully hand painted, and it comes with everything you need to mount on your wall. Much like the severed hand of Chuck Palahniuk, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, well, indeed, but uh, a dragon head instead of and mounted as opposed to just hanging around loose. <laughs> there. Uh, this thing is 32 oh, inches tall. It's 18 inches wide, and it's 25 inches deep. I'm just trying to take a look at it pretty quick. That's more like six cubic foot. That's, so. whenever, someone says, well, that is... whenever someone says Black Dragon okay. to me, my uh, my go-to image is always, do you remember the cover of Dragons of Despair? The first uh, the first Dragon Dance yep, yep. That gorgeous piece of art with the Black Dragon rearing up and breathing fire down on the on the Heroes of the Lance. Well, I'm... I'm surprised because I just looked it up here, and and it is quite spectacular. Uh, But the first website that came up offering to sell it to me was Barnes & Noble, which is a bookseller here. Interesting. And, you know, I I didn't think that was the place to go to find my $450 (laughs) dragon head, but apparently so. Now you know. Uh, You're you're just just out of place. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm pretty... I'm pretty sure if it's Dragons of Despair, uh, it would, it, it's the Black Dragon. It's the one that ambushes the party and basically frags with a wind. So it won't. It's breathing, <laughs> it's breathing acid, Russ. Breathing, breathing acid. It's not breathing fire. Come on, get with the program. Yeah. Kissant, I believe. It's a sort of attention to detail. Oh, there we go. There you go. There you go. Yes, Nerdcred inserted. There we go. Otherwise known as Onyx. Yes. Yes, whereas, of course, when I think of a black dragon, I think of the rather delicious cider that uh, uh, comes from Wales. So, oh, no, no. <laughs> what else do we have? Ooh, now then. Matthew Lillard, an actor known for mm-hmm. his role as Shaggy in the uh, live-action Scooby-Doo movies, um, runs the Beedle and Grimm's Pandemonium Warehouse, which produces... I had no idea that that was, uh, that was who ran Beedle and Grimm. Fascinating. No. It, that, that itself is quite newsworthy. Right, so. right. well, yeah. quite old news. They've been around for a while. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Beetle and Grimm existed. I know. I've, I've, I've always known about Beetle and Grimm, but I, I had no yeah. idea that Matthew Lillard was, was behind yeah. it. All right, so carry on. Beetle and Grimm. Uh, what was yeah. It? yeah, so, yeah. Um, as you know, they do this sort of platinum editions of D&D stuff, and they come in at $500, well, $499, and the most recent one is the Platinum Edition of Descent into Avernus, which contains uh, high-quality battle maps, tw- more than 20 miniatures, original artwork, uh, premium Dungeon Master screen, coins, tokens, badges, probably other stuff. The whole lot yeah. of well, I have to yeah. say, I think their, their gold edition of Eberron is, is a mere $250. Ooh. So Ooh. I'm just saying, you know... Get it yeah. while you can. Is there, there going to be a platinum version of that too? No, I don't think oh. so. Oh. Well, it may make sense when one thinks about it of, of just hearing all the things you described. You know, Avernus, of course, is a uh, adventure, a, camp- yes. a campaign. Yeah. And so you yes. have, like, you know, need for all the maps and things like that, whereas Eberron, of course, okay. isn't. 
Uh, now, I mean, it would be interesting. It has all these little maps of, of interesting locations. If, mm-hmm. they, if they decided to put those onto a substance, that would be, uh, that would be fun. But no, I, I unfortunately don't know what they're going to do with it, but I'm very keen to find out. Come on. Again, it's one of those things that I've never seen before because they're just way too expensive for me. But well, what what I, your blood. what I find sad about it is that uh, if it's the gold edition, you think it should be one tenth the cost of the platinum edition, <laughs> but instead it's only half. Yeah, yeah. When, when you're thinking about when so you're thinking about Beetle and edition. Grim, what are you doing? Yeah. Did you want did you want to do the less expensive gifts or do you want to skip them? Can, can, can I give us a rundown of the... Uh, do it quickly. We'll do it quickly. Okay. Do a quick yeah. one, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then if we've got comments, we'll... we'll, we'll yeah, just okay. In. So, uh, 39.99, you can get Clue, Dungeons & Dragons, the board game. Which, which I okay. am just trying to sort of baffle baffle my brain around of of like so it's a it's an adventure where we're trying to discover who did kill the dragon, like instead of trying to go do it, you're like oh by the way it was the fighter with the holy avenger, uh, anyhow carry on. Oh, well, it's kind of it's set in yeah. Baldur's Gate. I, I I saw Warhammer 40k Monopoly Fantastic. the other day. I was like that's like. But why though? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyhow, carry on. Yeah, uh, so, yeah it's set in Baldur's Gate, and it's just got D and D characters, weapons, yeah. and stuff. But yeah, it's basically the same game. Yeah, uh, carry on. Uh, Dungeon okay. Mayhem, a D and D themed combat card game for fifteen dollars. Okay. We have some gamer pouches in the shape of various D and D monsters. Thirteen ninety nine from Ultra Pro. Uh, you can get a little adorable little D and D red dragon one. Or an owl bear one, right. or a mimic, a beholder, or a mind flare. If we if we didn't have a beholder, I'd I'd be disappointed. But the mimic, that's the one I think I, I probably want. I was thinking want. about the beholder. The the mimic is a yeah, strong yeah. choice. It's like a, 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 what 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 do they look like? Yeah, they're little things and yeah, so of, like about three four yeah, inches across. They just look like cat toys, but. But okay. but I just I just want the mimic to just look like a bag, and it's just when you open it, it bites got, your hand. And it's off. got some teeth inside. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for eight ninety nine, you can get Matt yes. Forbeck's books, uh, his endless quest novels. Oh, endless quest! A great, a great little stocking filler for uh, for a D and D fan. Uh, the latest one I think was yeah. I don't know if it's the latest one, but Escape from Castle Ravenloft is the one I'm looking at right now. Ooh. Oh, are good. those like the choose yeah, your adventure? Yeah, we, we've looked through a couple of them. Which yeah. Are cool. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we did a bit of a play. I, there I always be a poor goblin mm-hmm. transported through the air on the back of a yes. and then eaten yes, by yeah, dinosaurs. You, you didn't do well. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's me right for that. Yeah. You run it. <laughs> well, that's a few ideas just for some, you know, slightly cheaper, less than $400 gifts that you can give to somebody. Yeah. Or, as an excellent gift, if you want to give us a gift, you can go along and vote for us in the uh, Best Talk Podcast (laughs) of 2019. After Manifest Zone, you know, I mean. Go and vote for Manifest Zone and for, I've almost forgotten the name of my own podcast there, Manifest Zone and for Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. It is a bit of a long name. It is. Yeah, catchy. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I might make it longer. Sorry, long-range discussion between Morris and myself about what constitutes a good name. Moving through the news, moving through the news. Fantasy Flight Games has released version 1.1 of the errata for the Genesis system books. 
If you're a Genesis fan, this covers the entire game line. Uh, Most of it is just like the standard sort of bug fixes, like minor stat adjustments or clarifications and stuff like that. But there's also a couple of large sections in there. Um, The first Mm -hmm. is an updated FAQ for the campaign setting Shadow of the Beanstalk and the the recently released rules expansion Genesis System Expanded Player's Guide. So that's almost as long as our podcast name, Genesis System Expanded Player's Guide. That doesn't exactly <laughs> trip off the tongue either. Yeah, but... <laughs> anyway, the other the other part of this Avata thing uh, is that there's yeah. three entire pages of charts which bring every single NPC, yeah. monster, beast, and creature in all existing yeah. Genesis products in in line with the updated yeah. system, giving each combat, social, and general challenge ratings. So for wow. Genesis players and fans, that will be quite a useful resource. Yeah. And that'll be available from the Fantasy yeah, Flight Games website. Yeah, right now. Yeah, fantastic. There you go. Yeah. Happy Christmas. <laughs> oh, there's this uh, in the news. This is, right. this is a guy called uh, Keith Baker. Keith Baker. Keith Baker. Don't know. I don't, I, I, Barker, I, I think. I think. Heard of Keith Barker. Yeah. Keith. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you heard of this mm-hmm. guy? Mm-hmm. Wait, did you? Russ, did you manage to pronounce his name properly on the podcast? Uh, what's what's he the first ten. I'm impressed. That's, that's like big progress for you, man. Uh, so, uh, Keith, you and Jen Ellis run Two Together Studios. That is true, I'm, I'm not yes. saying this to you as news, obviously. You, you know this already. <laughs> I, I'm shocked. Wait, what? I have to tell Jen about this right away. Uh, and uh, well, according to the news in front of me, you can tell me whether this is true or not, but apparently you have launched a pre-order campaign for the Adventure Zone uh, Bureau of Balance cooperative storytelling game. Oh, that is correct. Nice. We have launched that. It will be running until mid-January, mm-hmm. and uh, people who, who uh, pre-order it will get a special deck of cards. Uh, and there's also a, a special edition of the game that will only be available uh, through the pre-order. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about it. been having a lot of fun Adventure with it. Adventure Zone podcast oh, yes. actually won the podcast poll last year for actual play. Well, that makes sense. And so, Not yeah, entirely we- unsurprisingly, it's quite quite the uh, quite the monster, really, isn't it? When it comes to it's, it's, it's a big one. No, no, absolutely. And and with the Adventure Zone game, uh, it is something that we have designed in conjunction with them. It is something that you don't need to be familiar with the Adventure Zone to mm-hmm. play. You know, part of what we're trying to get is we wanted something that has a bit of the flavor. You know, it is a fantasy adventure. It is a party of adventurers trying to, to get through a dungeon. But something that you can really play with pretty much anyone mm-hmm. you know. You know, because sort of part of the point of the Adventure Zone is it appeals to a lot of people who haven't necessarily the time or uh, sort of resources to play Dungeons and Dragons, but who like the idea of the thing. And this is a sort of, oh, well, you got an hour. Let's give this crazy adventure a try. So awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy with it. You know, and it, it definitely inherits a little from uh, my card game Gloom. Mm. Uh, in the sense that you have a fundamental mechanical oh. framework. You made gloom. Yes, I did. Oh, See, a lot of people don't know this. It's very funny. Yeah, uh, well, I've really enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, and and so following that frame, you know, again, you have a basic mechanical foundation, but then a lot of the fun is the story you mm. tell on top of it. So, right, I'm going to slip in a bit of self-serving that news very very quickly, and then we'll move on. This is the last. Oh. This is the last news item. Shocking. I have released another yes. one-page adventure. No. Uh, this one is called oh, You Kill Me, 
And in this adventure, the players oh. are haunted by the vengeful spirits of a yes. goblin tribe they once defeated. And it's designed to be run alongside whatever other adventures you're running at the time. And these ghosts will appear yes. Yes. with more and more frequency throughout your campaign. At yes. first, it'll be once every couple of weeks, yes. then once a week, then every few, and then it's going to get to the point where every time you take a long rest, these ghosts are appearing. So eventually, the party's going to be forced to try and figure out why these ghosts are haunting them. And then go and yeah, and basically go and go and find them and try to you know resolve this you know without any spoilers resolve the situation. I, I I do like the idea of for a murder hobo campaign of just saying yes every creature the, the party kills <laughs> is just going to follow you around and make life miserable. Oh, man. Right, need a lot of vegetarians. Um. Well. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Anyway, that I think is it for the news for this week. Unless either of you two have got any <laughs> other news items that you could think of that I've missed. Oh well, there is this adventures on. <laughs> okay, no, we got that. Dang. Never mind. <laughs> oh, um, actually, I do have one piece of news. There is a game by one of our local RPG designers. Um, oh, of course, yeah, you did mention the other day. Yeah, yeah. It's esoteric something. Esoteric enterprises. Esoteric Enterprises, and it's essentially a very OSR-style game about what if you took the typical composition of a D&D party, but moved them into the present day. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's like a, it's quite, it's quite a gritty game, and there's like a, it represerves the OSR thing. There's like lots of opportunity to be crushed horribly and spend your last few turns gasping your dying breath and vomiting horribly as you're destroyed. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. Um, the actual book itself is very nice, and um, it's been selling mm. pretty well uh, compared to, say, Alien RPG, which we had on last week. So, yeah, if you're a fan of the OSR movement, or indeed um, interesting and interesting games, then... It's, uh, it's number prices. seven on uh, Drive yeah. RPG's top list at the moment. Not bad. Excellent. Impressive Excellent. stuff. Yeah. Okay, let's do some Kickstarters. Keith, are you familiar yes. with the Kickstarter game? I, I have I have read a description of it, so I'm <laughs> I'm ready to give it a try. <laughs> oh, truly, yeah. one of our most well prepared guests. <laughs> you either hate it or you'll love it. One of those two things. Hopefully. The latter, probably the former, but we'll see what oh, we'll see what happens. Why not both? <laughs> why not why both? both? Almost yeah. certainly both. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. so the Kickstarter game is yes. the game where I read out the name of the Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. All the rules are in the title. All right. And <laughs> we'll start with Peter. If we do two each, we'll start with Peter and we'll yes. see how it goes. Okay. So, Peter, what is yes. Secrets of Starfall? Oh, um... Is this a um, module for, I think, Starfinder, and it's all about finding out about the secrets of Starfall City, which is a city on a sort of a fantasy-esque planet, but which has um, like a local area where starfarers come and drop off and say, yo, what's up? Absolutely, there's some sort of big mystery associated Ooh, with it. It's a very good guess, Peter. Um, I, f I have heard of Starfall, I think, in relation to Galarian, because we were talking uh, the other week about Starfinder, mm. so yeah. Yeah, good guess. 
good guess. It's not an accurate guess. No, it's a good guess. I would believe it. So what this is, it's an adventure for D&D 5th edition by Dragon Knight Publishing. Uh, for characters of fifth, oh, it says players of fifth to tenth level, not characters. Ooh. Players oh of yeah, fifth no, your level. characters have to be twentieth level. Yeah, but, but the players, you know. fifth to tenth level. Uh, 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 yeah, I'm ready to run. Set in the world of uh, Ambaran, 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 uh, Rado, and, and that's not Ambaran. It's Ambaran, Ambaran, Ambaran. Yes. I believe is yeah. the name. Yeah. Uh, Rado, yeah. the gnome wizard, has vanished leaving the crossroads town of Hyran to grieve their losses. The Ellen Hodel has given a clue to his possible misguided actions, but it's up to you to determine how best to proceed. Oh, like well, you do. How did so you not get that from Star Wars? I know, right? Did you actually say Star Wars at any point in your description uh, of the no. game? Just ask for a friend. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. So there's clearly space for, there's clearly space for a staff. Uh, I'll watch that there. Okay. Anyway, uh, so for that, I'm going to give you one point out of 20, Peter. Mm. I, I, so. I liked Galarin having a, a Starfall counterpart. But yeah. what's next? Mm. Okay, the next one is, this one's for you then, uh, Keith. Go, Keith. This one is... Oi, oi. Okay. Better Backstories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Better Backstories is a uh, system-neutral role-playing supplement uh, that is about... Uh, it's it's a lot of random role tables uh, that provide you with a lot of options for building a more compelling backstory for your character. Uh, it actually has a sort of, it's broken down into chapters, you know, based on different kinds of characters. You know, this is for fighters, this is for bards uh, and races. And it's it's just uh, really a great tool for, uh, for building a more complex character with hooks into a long-term campaign. It is almost... Do you, do you actually know what that is? Because you sound... <laughs> it is almost <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> Oh wow! Okay, woohoo! I, I had no idea, so I will say, even if I sounded confident, I was not. But uh, there you I would are. give you a thousand points. You only get nine hundred ninety-nine because you said it was random tables. It is about cards, but other than that, everything you ah, just said, everything else you just said, is exactly right. Oh, yes. Haggis the cat. Yeah, Haggis the cat, everyone. I am presenting the haggis. Ten dollars, you get a deck of sixty-four cards. It's system neutral, as you said. And uh, it just randomly generates your, your your character's backstory and history. Very nice. That's amazing. Uh, for how much? Uh, ten ten dollars oh, for sixty four cards. That's not bad. You know, ten dollars. That's a Christmas exactly, present, right there. Exactly. So uh, the final scores. So Peter, yes. you have minus nine hundred ninety nine points, and somehow Woo-hoo. coincidentally, completely coincidentally, I don't know how it worked. The numbers worked out like that. Keith somehow oh. has. 999 points! Woohoo! Oh. Neen hundred! Oh, Neen hundred and neaty neen. He's, 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 he's got a thousand, got a thousand. Yeah, he scored he one point before. before. That's right, because yes. I did have one point before. Yes. Woohoo! Thousand points. Like, it's, it's like all the rest of the maths there. Well done. Right, that's it. That's it for our favourite game in all the world. Excellent. Thank oh. you so much. That was a lot of fun. Okay, running D&D for a dog didn't work out that well, so uh, let's let's try again with a cat. Right, are you ready, Smudge? Is this about me? 
Yes, Dungeons and Dragons is all about your character. Do I look cool? Well, I mean, I had a pre-generated character for you. No, I should look cool. Like, oh, fine. Really um, cool. I'll dig out the sorcerer. It has a high charisma. So I look cool? Yes, yes. Oh. So, here's your character. Now, let's get started. There's a bunch of little figures. Do I get to knock them over? No. Those are your character and his allies, so you need those. Oh, you've already knocked them over. They know what they did. They did nothing. They were just sitting there. Anyway, you enter the dungeon. Standing before you is a burly orc with a deadly-looking spear. He snarls at you. Okay, okay, so you're going to try to intimidate the orc. Intimidate the what? The orc. In, in the game. We're playing a game. Yes. Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. What are these shiny things? Those, those are the dice. You roll those when you're... Look, hey, wait, don't bother... Why are you batting them around? Hey, these are my shiny things. They're my dice. I brought them for you to borrow. Mine. Could you at least not knock them all over the floor before we even get started? Now, look, if you look on your character sheet... Did you say treat? No, no, sheet. Oh, I distinctly heard you say treat. Give me a treat. You've got a bowl of snacks right there. I can see the bottom. It's empty. Give me treats. Now. Right, no, we're, we're playing. Oh, fine. Fine, here's a cheetah, whatever that is. Now, the orc snarls at you, raising his spear. The who to what now? The orc in the dungeon, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons, the game we're playing. I, I thought you were going to give me a treat. I just gave you a treat. But my bowl is empty. It's not empty. Look, here, let me shake it. There. You can't see the bottom. Holy crap. Where did all these treats come from? So, about the orc... Um, is the orc allergic to cats? What? Because if he is, I want to rub all over him and make sure his clothes are covered in fur. How would you know if the orc is allergic to cats? I always know he's allergic to cats. That's how I know who to rub up against at parties. Well, I would have you roll, but you knocked all the dice on the floor. God, the D4s are spread out like caltrops. Anyway, uh, you don't know whether the orc is allergic to cats or not, but he's still brandishing his spear at you. What do you do? It says here, I have a spell called Fireball. I cast that. Let me get the mini set back up then. Uh, okay, then show me where on the map you want to place your Fireball. Here. But those are your allies. Allies. You know, your friends. 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 I cast Fireball there. What happens? Let me grab some of these dice off the floor. Okay. Rolling to see what happens. So, uh, all your allies are now dead. And I see you've already took them all over again. This seems like a perfect place. Let me just... Why are you laying on the battle map? Anyway, now that you've gone and all your party members are flame-boiled, it's the orc's turn. The orc turns towards you and readies his spear and you're, you're, uh, you're asleep. Uh, are you doing this just to punish me? Fish? Did you say fish? Give me fish now! Shall we talk about Eberron, then, shall we? Sure, oh, why not? Go talk about Phoenix Dawn Command. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, that's what, everyone, that's yeah. what everyone's here for, I assume. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Keith, have you heard of Eberron? Are you, are you familiar with, with Eberron? Uh, only vaguely. That's, like, really old, isn't it? I think it came yeah, out 15 years like, ago. Yeah, yeah, it's by some guy, uh, Keith Parker. Yeah, like Keith Parker. 
Keith Barking. Barking though. man. Barking man. <laughs> yeah. no, so oh, we are we are here to talk about well, not just the latest Edward book, but Edward in general. But I yeah, am yeah. holding here Edward Rising from the Last War, which came out three weeks ago, was it? Three, three weeks, weeks ago, and oh, I see yeah. you have the the standard version instead of the extra cool uh, alternate cover. Well, we don't we don't really have a local game store down here, so okay, okay. this is this is yeah. this is fresh from Amazon. When I say fresh from Amazon. Mm-hmm. I ordered it a long time yeah. ago, and it took a long time to reach me. So I haven't had this long. It, all right, that, all right. So, so long that it's like basically we're at the wrong end of the supply chain. Yeah, or something, something weird going on there. Um, uh, one of our keenest listeners, Lee Donovan, who's been a long-time friend and supporter of the podcast, uh, as well as one of our most valued patrons, uh, actually ordered the deluxe copy, which, by the way, is very nice. It's beautiful. Um, it's, it's a lovely, lovely. lovely. Yeah. deluxe one, but, yeah, absolutely. But they gave him a date, like, March next year. It's like, no, I cannot be denied my <laughs> everyone. So he ordered the standard copy to tide him over. And, of course, what happened? Both arrived wow. on the same day. Of course they uh, did. Yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> currently, due to reasons uh, which revolve around me saying, all right, I've really enjoyed playing in everyone. I guess I'll run it for you because, you know, it's like people always want to play in the games they run. Mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. like, I quite like this setting. He's really into the noir. I, I'm i more of a Cold War sort of aesthetic sort of guy. So, you know. I think we can well, meet in the middle. That that still is an easier meet in the middle than than him really being into noir and you really being into over the top Indiana Jones pulp adventure. You know, at least Cold War sort of is is more also, towards. That. He's also <laughs> into that. <laughs> well, luckily Everon has all of that covered, so you're yeah. uh, we've 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 got something for everyone. Hmm. So where do we begin? Uh, why don't we begin at the beginning? So well, 15 fun. years ago, I believe, is it? 16, technically. 16 it came out 15 years ago. Years ago. So, uh, so it was released 15 years ago, but it was 2003 when Wizards of the Coast did the fantasy setting search. Mm. And I will note that at that time, it was, it was early 2003, I had been working in the computer game industry for eight years, and I decided that I'd had enough of it and that I would quit and try to be a full-time RPG freelancer, uh, you know, which obviously was a recipe for ending up starving in a gutter. Uh, <laughs> and, and then... Two months later, Wizards of the Coast announced the fantasy setting search. Uh, having acquired Dungeons & Dragons, they wanted to come up with a new world for it, and anyone who chose could send in a one-page description of a world. Uh, and I think they, my guess is they probably expected to get about 400, and they ended up getting about 12,000. <laughs> yes, yeah, I read it was over 10,000, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, what, I the do figure- not envy whoever had to... Go through that pile of ten thousand entries. That must have been a monument. Well, and and I, to I, me, I'll be like, I can't pronounce these names. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that, that, that would be I'm, that would I'm be my first filter. Right. Basically, can I pronounce it? No. Yeah. yeah. You'd have to. You can't you? pronounce it. You, you go throw away most of them. Yeah. And and to me, I'm it sorry, is it is a question of of just how many iterations of of any particular idea you're going to see. Like I know that they were talking about we just had a stack of you know water worlds and a stack yeah. of you know post apocalyptic settings and a stack. You know, you've got to imagine with eleven thousand, there's only so many ideas out in the world. 
That's, that's interesting, because out of 12,000, I imagine there must have been at least some that were conceptually similar to yours as well. Mm, I, would, I would have thought in that, in that 12,000. Just The odds just kind of say it, it would happen, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. That's good, really. I don't know. So far, no one has come up to me and said, I did exactly Eberron. How dare you, sir? Yeah. You know, no, not exactly, uh, exactly. Obviously, I mean, just, you know, thematically. Yeah. I'm maybe. sure there were other high magic settings, as it were. Although, yeah. again, I don't like using high magic in association with Eberron, but that's another story. So we'll come back to that. Okay. Do you still have that yeah. one page? I'm sure you do, don't you? That one Absolutely. page Absolutely. Oh, yes. Is that, is that one available page somewhere? Pitch. I have the one page pitch, the 10 page pitch, the 100 page pitch, uh, yeah. but they all are they all belong to wizards and are, are totally under lock and key. Uh, same as the other th- the other two finalists. Wizards bought them all, so you know they are the property of wizards. Mm. Um, and I don't even know. Uh, Rich Berlou was one of the other finalists, and he's a fantastic guy. Really? Yeah, yeah, he's a fantastic guy, wow. and we have we have yeah. you know been friends for a time, and he's tried to kill me a few times. Uh, and uh, but like I, you I do think through alcohol poisoning. Yeah, like you like you do, and uh, but I I don't know what his what his world for the fantasy setting search was because he's, he's not allowed to talk you. about it. No, he, well, he's not allowed to. So, no, Wizards no. has spies everywhere. Mm. Uh, yeah. Anyhow, so yes, that was the thing that happened. So so they got uh, 11,000 entries, or 12,000, but my understanding is they got about 12,000 and 1,000 had to be sort of, you know, didn't follow the instructions sort right, of yeah. thing. So yeah, yeah, about yeah. 11,000 viable entries, mm. uh, of which yeah. they narrowed it down to 11. From there, they narrowed it down to three, and then they picked Eberron. And oh, yeah. uh, that was 15 years ago that came out. I remember at and, the time. It was, uh, God, how old am I? I remember, <laughs> I remember at the time, and the, the setting search at the time was such a big thing. Oh, yeah, it was... It was it was totally is, the Willy Wonka of you know the golden yeah. ticket uh, scenario, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when when you when you when you sent that pitch in, did you already have the setting? You know, had you already written it, or was that literally all there was so, to it? One page. So one page. So there was no limit on how many settings you could send in, mm. and I was someone with time on my hands, so I sent in seven. Ooh. And Eberron was number seven. And it right. was one that actually I was sort of a, a, an afterthought. And it was just sort of I love both pulp and film noir. Mm. And it has been oh. a longtime principle of mine that arcane yeah. magic behaves in a scientific fashion as presented in D&D. Oh. So why don't we see it actually evolve as right. a science. Yeah. And so it was basically just me saying, hey, what if you put these three things together? I've been working on a pulp-themed uh, MMORPG for previous years. So I've been watching a ton of Republic serials and pulp movies and things like that. And mm. I was just sort of like, well, what if you took this this flavor and put it into D&D and added the you know, the magic on top of it. And uh, and when they actually called me and said, oh, we're, we're moving you to, you know, the next round, I was like, what? You know, really? <laughs> like that one, as I said, I mean, the funny thing is I just wrote it up because I thought it was fun. Yeah. And apparently they thought it was fun. So, you know, so there you have it. Uh, but but no, it it is something... You know, a lot of people have said, oh, how could you how could you give away your world? And well, again, actually, no, I made it up for 
uh, for the second yeah. section. There's a few yeah. elements. There are elements of it that are drawn from different campaigns I have run, you know, sort of over the years. But no, it was not like I was playing games in Eberron beforehand. Mm. And and to give credit where credit is due, I'm responsible for that core seed of Eberron. Uh, but once they picked it, you know, the immediate thing that happened is I went up to, to Seattle and sat in a room with Bill Slavisek, Chris Perkins, James Wyatt, a bunch of mm. other people uh, for a week. And we like batted around, you know, did all sorts of brainstorming and, and sort of hammered it into the form you have today. And, you know, the, the big one that I'll just pull out as a, as a simple, obvious example is uh, Halflings on Dinosaurs mm. totally came out of that meaning. I had uh, I had a, a nation of nomadic halfling tribes but basically like in that meeting we were sitting around being like okay this is great but what make these guys cooler like what do they ride and yeah. someone said yeah. dinosaurs and we're like of course they ride dinosaurs yeah. halflings on dinosaurs it's kind of a case so, of just looking at each element and just turning each one up to 11 and just seeing it's exactly what would right if you did that. it's exactly right it was just sort of like well what's what's good here and how could it be better yeah and and so again uh, uh, as i say a lot of of really good people you know have have shaped the world into its final form uh as we know it now hmm. so how sort of involved have you been with it over the last 15 years there have been sort of periods where you've you know not really touched it for a few years and then come back to it or has it been fairly constant uh, well i mean the time? point of it is that because it's owned by wizards of the coast there mm. was a long dry spell where nothing could really be done for it yeah uh so between uh fourth and fifth uh, you know, they weren't doing anything with it and it wasn't legally possible to mm. make new Eberron content. And so I have a website, keithbaker.com. It's yeah. got a little hyphen between, so keith-baker.com. And I have always on that been doing little Eberron Q&As and, you know, just little bits of lore dive and such. And so I've been doing that for, uh, you know, for a decade and there's mm. a ridiculous amount of content on it. But the point is I couldn't actually do anything concrete. I couldn't sure. make an Eberron adventure. Uh, and so that's actually why Phoenix Dawn Command exists is because I couldn't write for Eberron, so I made a new world and a new system. Yeah. Uh, and then Eberron came back, so I've mainly been working on that since then. And so part of it is I'm very excited just more than anything, as, as much as I'm happy about Rising from the Last War, more than anything, I'm really excited that they've opened it up to the DMs Guild so mm. that both I and anybody can create more Eberron content. Uh, I am working on a book called Exploring Eberron yep. that will come out for the DMs Guild. At this point, we're looking in February. We were hoping it was going to be this month, but life happens. Uh, it's a 200-page book, so it's a very big, you know, there's a lot in it. And that specifically, much of the book are just topics I have always wanted to explore an Eberron that there's never been a chance in an official book. You know, one I'll say, for example, is the planes. And, uh, you know, when we created Eberron, part of the choice was to give it its own unique cosmology. Yeah. Uh, but then that cosmology was never really explored in sort of sufficient detail for people to really engage with it. And that's always been sort of a point of frustration to me since I think it's really interesting. And so that's certainly one of the topics that uh, that is covered in some depth in exploring Eberron. 
I noticed uh, you've got information about underwater locations and all sorts of stuff in that book. Yep, and and underwater, uh, you know, part of it was that when I originally did the first, uh, you know, 100-page overview of Eberron, Mm -hmm. uh, it included... Uh, an overview of underwater nations, because yeah. part of my point is when you have the swagan, you have merfolk, you know, you have these aquatic species that are just as intelligent as people, and you sort of get the, well, why why wouldn't they have nations? Yeah. And if they do have nations, then when you're sailing across the ocean, you're going right through their, their lands. How do mm. they feel about that? What are the arrangements? And... Uh, Exploring Eberron as it is just one book, you know, I will note that the ocean technically is the size of the rest of the world and then some, uh, but it actually is focusing on one of the particular, you know, the Thunder Sea is what's covered in Exploring Eberron. So sort of being, you know, part of, I suppose, sort of like a, a, a pantheon of very few people who created official D&D settings. We're talking, you know, Weiss and Hickman and Ed um, Greenwood yep. and people like that. You're one of this very, yep. very small, very, very select group of people. Does does everyone sort of still feel like your baby? I mean, I know you, know, you don't legally own it, but does it still, to this no, day, no. still feel like it's your... Oh, absolutely. And and I will say that, you know, with that said, I'm very grateful to Wizards for mm. having me work on Rising and such, because, again, technically they don't have to, yeah, yeah. you know, it is their world. Uh, I still feel very deeply invested in it. Uh, again, Wizards has been very kind. You know, they had me do the Wayfinder's Guide yeah. uh, last year. And then, again, I was very uh, deeply involved on Rising from the Last War. Mm-hmm. So part of it is is Wizards hasn't, you know, pushed me out or anything like that. And so I still feel very attached to it. Uh, there have always been, you know, little things where I'm like, if it had been entirely up to me, you know, there are things, and this is what I say on my website, you know, there are things that I will do differently in my Eberron than what is yeah. in some of the official books. But it is also the case that that is one of the fundamental principles of Eberron mm. is that the material in the book is flexible, that it is a starting point, that yeah. you should look at the books as a source of inspiration for you to build on, not as something that restricts what yeah. you can do. Yeah. And so, yeah, the fact of the matter is my Eberron is slightly different from what's in the books, but that's, you know, yours could be too, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But that's how D and D works, isn't it? I mean, what, exactly. you know, whatever setting you're, uh, whatever setting you're playing in, you're gonna you're gonna adapt it to your own to your own style. And well, your well, own well, you say that, but there's a lot of people who are like, oh, you've got to stick to the law of the Forgotten Realms. I'm like, one. No. <laughs> Two. Have you seen how much law there is? <laughs> well, and and have that's. You stick- and, no. And that was exactly the point of Eberron is is that we decided, you know, from the start that for example, the novels, the Eberron novels are not canon. Mm. That these are ideas, these are things that could happen in yeah. Eberron, but we always said from the start, but we're not saying they did. You know, it's not like any future source book has to account for the events of, you know, these five novels in part because one of the core principles of Eberron is we want your player characters to be the heroes of the setting. You know, you're not supposed to be overshadowed by the deeds of, you know, our characters in, in the novels and such. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of the weaknesses that a licensed property might, might have. 
like Star Wars, for example, you're always going to know in the background right, right. is there's the the yeah, story. You know, if Obi, right, right. Yeah, if Obi Wan Kenobi turns up, you're like, yeah, yeah. Great. I'm an NPC in my own company <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming that most people listening to this are familiar with Ebron. I'm assuming they all pretty much know what it is, but we might have a few listeners who who listen every week and uh, maybe maybe haven't haven't stumbled across everyone quite yet mm-hmm. so um what, yes. say what would your elevator pitch be if uh, if you're if you're uh, talking to someone who's you know say new to D, new to everyone new to everything well the original elevator pitch because part of the the fantasy setting search was you did have to start with you know a one to two sentence description of the world and the original yep. description was lord of the rings meets raiders of the lost ark and the maltese falcon Oh, okay. uh, but basically, uh, what I would say with Eberron is it is there's sort of a couple of primary principles. Uh, the first is that it is a setting that uh, has a civil, you know, where civilization uses arcane magic as a tool. Mm-hmm. So it is the idea that magic has been harnessed and used as a foundation for society. So it's not just a few wizards in ivory towers. Uh, it is part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to say when I said before it wasn't high magic, I like to say it's wide magic. Because part of the point is that it's relatively low level magic that is widespread. Magic of up yeah. to, say, third level. Magic of up to fifth level is possible. You can get teleported but it's not the primary means of yeah. of transport you know of transportation whereas high level magic remains rare and remarkable yeah. uh, but basically it is a world in which we do light the streets with continual flame we do fling fireballs across the battlefield added to that it draws on inspiration both on over-the-top pulp adventure, hence mm-hmm. the Raiders of the Lost Ark, really encouraging, dial things up to 11. You know, what's more exciting than fighting, uh, you know, on uh, a battle on an airship? Well, if the airship is crashing and perhaps on fire, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, how can you add yeah. that that level of uh, excitement? Uh, while at the same time also embracing themes of noir storytelling. Uh, Good and evil aren't always so clear-cut. Stories don't always end well. Essentially, the part I want to say is players should always be faced with interesting decisions. Mm. You know, we want you to have to think about what you're doing and about the world. And then... One of the other sort of core defining elements tied to the title Rising from the Last War is that the primary continent of Corvair has just recently emerged from a terrible civil war that lasted uh, decades. And part of why this is relevant is because it isn't easy when you were making a character. It's an immediate hook of what did you do during the war? How did this affect you? And so uh, that's just an easy, I'm not just an elf fighter. It's, well, you know, how did this, how did this affect me? Did I fight, was I Valinor? Did I fight for one of the nations, etc.? Beyond that, there's lots of just little ways in which it is different from some of the other settings, the approach to religion and deities, you know, a lot of little things like that. But those are the core principles. Um, so this last war, Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were. Uh, I'm trying to get my Eberron law straight here now. Then, so there were there were yep. five five uh, nations originally. There was a great big civil five kingdoms. Uh, yeah, a great big civil war. Uh, and, yep. and and now we're looking at what 12, uh, 12, 13 of them. Yeah. So basically, what happened? It's not actually quite that there were five. It's that there was one. 
that essentially, uh, as of a hundred years ago, the continent was largely united under the kingdom of Galifar. Uh, Galifar yeah. had five provinces, and it also basically laid claim to everything, even though it didn't really use it all. So part of the point about there being new nations is the idea of you have, like, the nation of uh, the Talenta Plains. Mm. And... That didn't actually so much declare independence during the war as much as, well, it was never really part of Galifar. They right. just put it on the map yeah. as being part of Galifar, but no no people ever lived there yeah. other than the halflings. Uh, but anyhow, the point yeah. is United Kingdom of Galifar split into its five provinces, now known as the Five Nations. They were the primary uh, sort of antagonists of the war. Along the way, various other pieces of them sort of peeled off. Uh, so, you know, uh, the goblins sort of laid claim to yes. Dargoon. Uh, elf mercenaries who had been brought in essentially said, you know, our ancestors once once had a stake here. We're just taking this piece. Mm -hmm. uh, in the, uh, the west, you have uh, Droam, which is a nation of monsters. And that, again, is an example of that was a region that was always full of monsters. Just a, you know, a three hags came along and said, well, let's make it a nation. Yeah. And so at this point, yes, there are around 13 nations. Well, 12 because Syria is gone. Yeah. So there yeah. you are. Or Kyra. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> well, there's no wrong way to pronounce it. Yeah. That's that's so, our take. Yes, Keith Baker has just uh, said I'm correct, so there you go. That's correct. There we go. Keith, Keith Baker has said he's not wrong. <laughs> well, that is also correct. Our, our view on how we pronounce that nation is that it's like tomato or tomato, that, yeah. that different people within the world itself pronounce it different ways. Uh, you're what? pronouncing it in a sort of North Brelish well, accent. I'm going I'm I'm to start a movement, he, I think. He, he's going to... He, he's going for more tobacco. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, do, you, do you get a chance to <laughs> actually play in the world as opposed yeah. to run it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've played in quite a few Sweet. Eberron campaigns over the years. So, is it your friends run it? Yeah. Or do, 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 um, do uh, other friends, designers yeah. and other people who've, uh, who've worked on worked on the setting. No, no, most, mostly friends. I mean, I've had a few other designers who have worked on the, the setting uh, run it for me, but long-term campaigns, mostly friends, because mm -hmm. that's how you get a long-term campaign. You never sort have, of... have you ever been at a convention or anything and seen a game of everyone just signed up under, like, Keith B or something. No, I've never done that. That would be that would be quite fun to just drop in. I will say one of the first Eberron campaigns I played in um, was back in the day they had a uh, the RPGA had a thing called Mark of Heroes, mm. and so it was like the Adventurers League today. Um, and and you know there was a game master who wanted to run it, and frankly, when I run games, you know I usually don't use the the preset stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I was perfectly happy to, you know, if I was going to run my own thing, I'd make stuff up. So, you know, I was happy to play in the Mark of Heroes to see what it was all about. Uh, but the fun thing about it was there was a bard in the party. Mm -hmm. And essentially, whenever the bard would make a bardic knowledge roll, the DM would just point <laughs> at me and I would tell him what he knew. And so I was sort of like, like being the voice of the Hitchhiker's mm -hmm. Guide to the Galaxy. You know, we would just pause for Keith to step in and give us a lore dump. And then we would return to our, our, you know, game in progress. So, so you're never um, tempted to just go, hmm, actually, 
No, no. <laughs> but uh, but part of that, the point that, that wouldn't be how it works, right? And that is part of the point of it. Is is I've played in a couple of of long term Eberron campaigns, mm. and part of the point is I don't well actually because I don't know what they've decided. So yeah. looking to one of the things we didn't mention is the terrible war came to an end with an event called the Morning. Yes, that destroyed the nation that shall not be named. Uh, and and that that has brought us to the Cold War situation we have now, where the point is because the cause of the morning is unknown, but one of the definite leading contenders is that it may just be the environmental fallout of using too much war magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially because of that, you know, everyone's called an immediate truce. We're afraid to continue. And that's put us into this Cold War situation. Yeah. Uh, but part of that point is we have not and will not ever give a canon explanation of what caused the morning. Right. And so part of the point is I've been in campaigns where that answer has come out. Yeah. It's not necessarily the answer I would give, but that's the point as well. You know, hey, I didn't realize that was what it was, okay. but uh, but there you go. So, Out of curiosity, what, what, what sort of answers have, have, have people come up well, with? Well, the, the morning yeah, I know itself it is, is yeah. like a whole... Oh, okay. Well, I thought maybe our listeners might like to know as well. Yeah, no, thanks, uh, <laughs> Russ. Uh, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to go, uh, go, go sit in the corner. Uh, 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 so, so my understanding um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of like the basics, uh, which is just my experience of the player, is that there's like a whole nation, and suddenly, like all at once, everybody was dead, more or less, and the whole thing is surrounded and with like a sort of a big cube of fog that's like all over the top of it, and so forth. So like. So, so basically, fresh. yeah. So <laughs> basically, what happened is, uh, in the capital city of Metrol, it said that the mist began there and spread out, and that as it passed over things, they were transformed. So it wasn't not everyone died, but if you didn't die, usually something just as bad happened. Mm. Uh, and so that beyond the mists, it is a sort of warped, you know, land that's filled with strange creations. You know, one of the more sort of uh, iconic examples is the living spells, where basically the idea is if someone was casting a fireball as the morning hit, well, now we have this fireball that's roaming around, yeah. you know, burning everything. Uh, and so it's just a place where essentially, you know there are no predictable rules Mm. and where everything is chaotic and dangerous. And part of the point of that is that it means it's right in the middle of the continent. Uh, It was the richest nation beforehand. And so it also sort of doubles as the world's largest dungeon because it is literally a dungeon the size of a country Mm. filled with all the treasures that country possessed. So take that world's largest dungeon. (laughs) Woo! Yeah. yeah. $99.95 or however, however much it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. The, writing this, 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 this latest book, Rising from the Last War, what's it, what's it like working with Wizards of the Coast on on? Oh, it's good. I mean, I've been talking with them about doing this for a long yeah. time, and I'm glad it finally came out. There's a couple sort of little details that, that are worth calling out. Uh, one of the things is Forgotten Realms, sort of every time it's come out, it's usually sort of bumped forward a bit. Things change. Yeah. Uh, I will say that with Rising from the Last War and with Fourth Edition as well, you know, we did ultimately come to the decision that we didn't want 
to change fundamentally change the world mm -hmm. that uh, this this moment in time 998 you know two years after the war has ended is a moment that's so filled with possibilities that basically were we to advance it we would have to answer a lot of questions we'd have to decide has the morning been solved you right, know what's yeah, happened in yeah. uh, Brayland and, and that we still wanted to leave those to you and so it is still the same time We've added sort of more details. You know, what Rising gives you that the previous books didn't uh, is that it gives a lot of, of just sort of hooks mm -hmm. and things to use, like taking all the various conspiracies and power groups in Eberron. Well, this says, and here's a table of plots yeah. associated with them. And here's a place that you could drop people in to, you know, to have a scene. Um, what I also like is it is slightly less concrete in the lore. What we talked about when we made it was the idea that rather than being an encyclopedia, mm -hmm. where it's just, this is a book of facts about the world, we wanted it to be more directly engaging to the game master and the reader. Mm -hmm. So one of the examples of this is, and this is going to be a slight spoiler, but, uh, but only slight, because the point is it's not in 5th edition. Uh, in previous editions... It was the case that the king of Karnath was a vampire. He was secretly a vampire. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> now, this is because in the book it said the king of Karnath is a vampire. And in fact, you know, one of the things people complained is, well, if my players read the book, then they know this. Right, so, yeah. you know, it's not very much a secret. Uh, in Rising from the Last War, as I said, what we have are these newspaper articles. There's a lot of in-world newspaper articles of things reporting. Uh, Rising from the Last War does not say the King of Karnath is a vampire, but it has a newspaper article that says people are saying that the King right, of Karnath yeah. may be a vampire, along with basically saying this is who's saying it, this is why it matters, mm. this is what it would mean if he was a vampire. Yeah. But also, here's how he's shown that he's not. He's been out in the daylight and cut his hand and there was blood. People say maybe he is body doubles. Yeah. Uh, and, and basically, the point of it is, is it gives the idea... But again, it leaves it up to the game master to say, I've been given two possibilities. Is he a vampire? Or is it just that his political enemies are spreading this rumor? Mm. And so it's a lot of things like that where to me it's less... Again, it was always that principle that Eberron was about inspiration. It's yeah. less about saying, this is what it is. And it's more about saying, well, wouldn't it be interesting if X or Y? And which one of sure. those do you think yeah. is more interesting? Um, and okay. that sort of so, flavor throws throughout the book. Yeah. So I guess that does answer a question I was going to ask, which was we, earlier we were talking about getting a platinum edition of Eberron, but without a campaign book uh, in a similar style to Curse of Strahd, etc., mm -hmm. that seems quite unlikely. So mm -hmm. I think that wouldn't be something that you'd really be on board with per se. Like if we were to say, make a book, Keith, you probably will, but it's, not, it's not your first instinct. Mm, I'm sorry. Uh, what is it that uh, that uh, you're yeah, curious? Uh, about? Make make a campaign book. Like, uh, oh, so so this is the thing. Is yeah, is I'd love to have I'd love to have one. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to see it out there. Uh, I will say that uh, what they do have is there is an Adventurers League uh, campaign 
coming out mm-hmm. called Oracle of War. I haven't been been actually uh, directly involved, but that's coming out. So at least even if we don't have like an Avernus style campaign book, there is content. You know, there is going to be an arc. Uh, I will say that I worked with a group called Across Eberron that have published a campaign path uh, over the last year in the DMs mm-hmm. Guild. And so there is Eberron campaign content. Yeah. Uh, out there, yes. uh, I don't know. As I said, what uh, what the next plan is, but it is the case that Rising from the Last War isn't a campaign like Avernus. Mm. It is uh, it is a, a the setting. It is the source book for the yeah. world. It's more like Ravnica, I suppose, in terms of uh, yeah, it's yeah. very you know very similar to Ravnica, yeah. uh, and and I'm very happy with it. It does include an adventure. Uh, and as I said, what it does include is just many, many sort of hooks and ideas that I really feel it is a book where you can just flip this open to a couple pages and, you know, put together an adventure in 30 minutes. Uh, so I'm very happy Talking with that. Talking of sort of like random tables and stuff like that, the very first table I saw when I opened this book uh, was a table of mm-hmm. what happens if you fall off a walkway in Shire. And it was, I can't remember, was it a D10 table, D12 table or something like that? And yep, yep. Uh, you, you, you yep, and yep. it could be oh you fall three d ten plus five feet and you you land on a featherford walkway below or it could be yep. a griffin snatches you up and then charges you for the for the privilege or or you know yep. there's there's a you know there's a dozen yep. or so different yep. fun I loved that I loved that and that was my first the very wait, first wait. thing I saw. When you have, uh, yeah, when you have a city of mile high towers, yeah. you have to consider what happens when you fall. I will say my well, personal favorite table. Well, but it's uh, Yeah, my personal favorite table is I think on page nine or yeah. ten, uh, and it is the why you need two hundred gold pieces. Yes, yeah, I remember seeing that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of of basically part of our point tying to the noir aspect is the idea that you know think about your character and the idea that like what do you regret? What are the mistakes you've made? Mm. Uh, because part of your hero's journey is you know overcome uh, mistakes, and so one of those is the idea of saying, uh, well, how about you start with a death? Yeah. And and I oh. think what they've suggested is you could do this instead of a flaw if you mm. wanted, you know, oh, just uh, have a debt instead of yeah, a flaw. That's a clever idea. Uh, but it's that whole idea of just saying, hey, you're Han Solo. Well, you owe Jabba the Hutt 200 gold pieces. Yeah. You know, I mean, like it just gives you an immediate, yeah. you got to get out there and adventure because if you don't pay off the Boromar clan in, you know, a month, it's going to be bad. Yeah. No, you'll have halflings coming for you. And that's, oh, that's Boromar clan, don't mess with the, the criminal halflings, man. Absolutely. Oh, um, I did have um, a question because one of our page because one of the things we do is we have patrons ask mm-hmm, questions mm-hmm. and so forth, uh, and one of them has come up with a couple. So if you're okay with that, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, one slingers and trip casters, which are like little cantrip shooting yep. magic wands. Uh, how ubiquitous are they? Are they like soldiers after the American Civil War? still holding on to old service pistols or are they more tightly regulated and how would you go about building a one slinger in fifth edition fair enough so it is certainly the case in uh rising from the last war in particular and wayfinder's guide that once you have cantrips in uh in the system it makes sense for them to be you know the whole principle of eberron is magic incorporated into society and uh, we have always had the idea of mage rights, and mage rights are professional spellcasters. 
Uh, and so the idea is, first off, there's a lot of cantrips that just have a lot of just practical prestidigitation is so useful mm -hmm. domestically. Uh, oh. that it's amazing oh, what so you can do with it. Clean yourself up. Yep, clean yourself Mending. up, heat, cool, mending, exactly. And uh, press, so mage rights can cast a couple of cantrips and also can usually cast one or more first to third level spells, but they do them as rituals. Uh, and part of that is because that means as long as they have the money, they can do it multiple times. So you have, for example, an arcane locksmith who can use mending to fix locks, uh, but then who also yep. knows knock and arcane lock. And they can make locks for you. They can unlock things for you. And, like, that's a job. Yeah. You know, that's a guy you can yeah. go and hire. Wandslingers, what we have said, so the idea of a wandslinger is a soldier who basically has essentially the magic initiate feat. Uh, if you look at Magic Initiate, it lets you cast a couple of cantrips and one first-level spell. So, you know, I've got Fire Bolt. I've got, you know, Poison Spray if someone gets close. And I've got uh, Burning Hands as, like, my sort of grenade, you know, thing. And boom, Wandslayer. Um, and what we've said is that the, the Wandslinging specialty, if you will, began in the nation of Ondere which is the most magically advanced of the five nations. And that with Ondere, it was their sort of, by the end of the war, it was largely their primary form of uh, sort of infantry, if you will. Yeah. Uh, by contrast, it didn't completely, it hasn't completely taken the world by storm, uh, that you do still say, like, Thrain, for example, are still known for their longbows. And one of the things is, right. frankly, a longbow is a better range right. <laughs> than most cantrips, you know. Six, and six, six hundred, uh, yep. 600 foot as opposed to 120, 150. Well, and we've talked that's, about... That's difference. Yeah, and we've talked about uh, there were things, there was a thing in the Wayfinder's Guide that didn't actually make it to Rising, but I have a variation of it in Exploring Eberron, uh, which is the idea that once you have this, you should have options to extend that range. Like what I had in Wayfinder's Guide was the idea that if you used a two-handed arcane focus, uh, so if you used a staff mm. and used it in two hands, yeah, yeah. it increased the range. And part of that idea was to say, well, the wand is like a pistol. Yes. Yeah. The the rod is like a shotgun. The staff is 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 a, a rifle. Just in part because core D&D doesn't give any difference. It doesn't matter which mm. of those you used. And we wanted to say, well, there should be yes. a difference. You know, so, that the staff actually yeah. is yeah. different yeah. from a wand. Uh, right. And as I say, I've got another, another take on that in Exploring Eberron uh, coming out. Uh, so basically, the point to me is that it is ubiquitous in Undare, and in the other nations, it is uh, it is not uncommon. But people do still use bows and crossbows, and you know and it hasn't because it does require specialized mm -hmm. training. You know, it is yeah. this idea. Now, one of the things we do say for wandslingers is the idea that for a normal NPC wandslinger. Uh, they have equivalently the equivalent of magic initiate, mm -hmm. but that they need the wand. That for a normal person, yeah. they have to have the wand as a focus. And part of what makes player characters special is as a player character, even at low levels, you are remarkable. And part of the point is you can take the wand or leave it. But we are saying for yeah. your typical wand slinger, they are yeah. limited. They have to have a focus to do it. Um, okay, that makes sense. Uh, but basically, so they're out there. It's becoming more common. The, the last little theme oh. is that idea that the war did push 
technology. You know, it pushed magical science. And so that we didn't have wand slingers much before the war. We made that discovery. Now they're becoming more common. Mm -hmm. I'm running a game in Kabara, a campaign uh, that that I would say is based on Westerns, if you will, even though in Kabara it's an Eastern. And the point is, sure, you got wand slingers uh, all over there. Uh, As a wand slinger, my go-to for a wand slinger, frankly, is a warlock. I like a warlock as a wand slinger. They're primarily a cantrip driven class with a couple extra bonuses. Uh, And so like in my Kabara campaign, there's a Hexblade warlock Mm. who is absolutely, you know, hand solo. Yeah. Um, Eldritch Blast, Eldritch Blast. Uh, Wicked hit, right? There you are, exactly. And other questions I had were uh, Dragon Marks, obviously a major part of the game, way to distinguish between the houses. Dragon Marks are moving away from feats in early editions to sort of a sub-race in 5th edition. Um, Are the Marks now from birth instead of manifesting, or could you divert Marks after play starts? So, the thing about it is that Dragon Marks were feats in 3rd edition. Part of that was because in 3rd edition, every character got a feat. And so, to us, it's more important that you can start with a dragon mark than uh, getting it straight along, especially because also feats just serve such a different role in 5th edition. Just having them be feats, again, the balance and all sorts of things would be very weird. Uh, The idea of a dragon mark is that it is tied to your bloodline and that the dragon marked houses, and this was something we should have mentioned earlier about the defining elements of the setting, the dragon marked houses dominate the economy. Each has a particular magical gift. It lets them use uh, tools they've created to enhance it. And so air travel is dominated by House Lorandar that has the mark of storms. Uh, You know, House Kenneth has the mark of making and they are the dominant sort of industrial manufacturing house. House Jurasco has the mark of healing and they are essentially the medical industry. Um, With feats serving that different role, we wanted you to be able to have marks from the start, and marks were always associated with particular races. So using them as sub-races made a logical thing, especially because marks are supposed to appear around adolescence. That is the traditional time for a mark to appear. And so so it makes sense that as a player character, if you were going to have a mark, you should have a mark. And so that's why I didn't really mind uh, changing that. Now, technically, it was always possible that you could take the feat later. But again, the idea was they were supposed to manifest in adolescence. So first off, no, they don't appear at birth. They generally manifest around adolescence, and we're just saying, yeah, probably if you have one, you're going to have one. Now, in 5th edition, uh, officially... It makes puberty even more awkward. Exactly. Uh, Officially, I do not think there's going to be any any official variant that will say you could get a dragon mark later in life. There were... So you can do what you like. You can do whatever you want. Okay. Uh, I I was tied to a book called the uh, Morgrave Miscellany that had a, an option for that. And exploring Eberron is going to have uh, an option, a different option for uh, Sybaris Dragon Marks, which part of the point of the Sybaris Dragon Mark is not only is it more powerful, it is something that people can develop later in life. But it is intentional that the core subrace Dragon Marks, the idea is most people, if they're going to develop them, by the time you're an adventure, you'll have developed yeah. it. Yeah, makes sense. 
And part of it also is because the idea of having the mark is that the actual spell-like ability you get from the mark is in some ways less important than the ties to the house and yeah, the, the you know the social people. impact yeah. and and you know yeah. what you have learned and how to use it. So I'm pretty happy with the subrace version myself personally. Well, uh, I don't think there's any particular problem with it, but it just seems like a an interesting idea. Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, well, I did I did have one one final question, which was like um. So who, who are these questions for? Like, but shifters. The oh, these are for. These are from okay. patron and listener Lee Donovan. So it's, so it's always uh, nice when you get your name read out on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, no, as I say, um, as Ben managed to persuade me to take a punt on a published setting. So uh, there you go, uh, Keith. Yours is actually probably the first time I've you, I'm going to be using a setting. Excellent. Like in, I don't know, like 20 years of reading. So there you well, go. fingers crossed uh, that it goes well for you. Yeah, yeah, me too. You said there was another question, <laughs> right? But Lee Donovan had a question about shifters? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, about shifters, which is the origins of them. Mm-hmm. I was like, has done some research, but hasn't really been able to find anything. Could you tell us a bit more about them? Or is, there, is that something that's been left uh, uh, It's another of those things that's been left uncertain. Mm-hmm. What we know is that shifters are primarily uh, in Corvair. So shifters, just for people to know, are humanoids that uh, have bestial characteristics mm-hmm. and are are noted by they can enter a state called shifting, which is sort of like a barbarian's mm-hmm. rage, where they temporarily become more beast animalistic and gain sort of primal Just powers. Variations. Uh, now they're, they're, not, they're not werewolves, but or this is and th- they, yeah, it's similar to, but it's different. Right, they I, just I actually playing one, so right. it was. And, and so that's the idea, is they're similar to lycanthropes, but they don't go all the way. You know, they aren't quite as yeah, extreme. Yeah. Now, this is the point, is some people believe that they are just thin-blooded lycanthropes. That, you know, oh, you have so many natural lycanthropes, eventually the, the blood sure, wears yeah. thin and they become shifters. That is a theory in the world. And this is the point, is that there is no concrete answer, but people believe things. So uh, shifters are sometimes called uh, the wear-touched, for example. The other argument, which many shifters uh, claim, is that no, it's the other way around. That the shifters were there first and that lycanthropes are cursed mm. shifters. That there was a band of right. shifter heroes that were corrupted either by the Dalkir or by the overlord, by an overlord and turned into lycanthropes. The argument for or that... Maybe just have- Recessive genes all right. like collapsing into each other. The, sort of thing, yeah? the argument for that is that, frankly, lycan- lycanthropy behaves like a weapon. It is, in many ways, a magical biological weapon. It, it can be transmitted. It turns the person who is infected into a threat to others around them. Uh, and so that sort of is the argument for the they took shifters, amplified and corrupted them, and created lycanthropy mm. from them. And uh, uh, that, 
Mm-hmm. Have you seen Carnival Row, like on the yes. Amazon thing? Yep, yep, exactly yes. like that. Oh, so, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That, that's ex- um, well, they clearly read Ebron, so we can't fault their taste. <laughs> it really is matter. quite similar. I mean, I'm not saying it, yeah. they stole from it or anything. No, I mean, no. but I'm saying it's certainly thematically, it's mm. not a bad, yeah. you know, bad match for for Eberron. Uh Lots of good stuff there. Uh, but basically, that is the point: is so that we don't know with shifters. Some people say lycanthropes came first, and shifters are descended from them. Uh, other people say it's the other way around. One thing I will note with shifters is they are not directly tied to an animal mm. type. That is what we say is that you have a subrace that sort of reflects. You can say, oh, swift, you know, long tooth are more like wolves and uh, beast hide are more like bears. Uh, but part of the point is that I can be a beast hide shifter and my daughter could be a long tooth shifter. It's not like the the sub races are are yeah. genetically fixed. Breeding true. Like, yeah. And so that sort of lends itself to the the idea that that lycanthropy may go the other direction because it's not like my dad was a werewolf and I'm going to be mm. a werewolf, you know. So I, I was I was wondering, um, other than the uh, upcoming Eberron source book which you've got coming in January, February. Uh, do you do you plan mm-hmm. to write any adventure support yourself and put that on the TM's guild? Uh, I would definitely like to write as much as I can. I mean, I love writing forever. I'm part of the problem is I am running together studios. Yeah. You know, I have the Adventure Zone coming out. I have a couple other products coming out. So it's all about time. Um, I will say that I do post quite a bit on my mm-hmm. my website, keithbaker.com. Uh, I will note that I just posted an article recently, now that we were talking about shifters, that was about someone asked if Warforge could cry. Uh, and so I posted an answer to that. Um, and so I, I will certainly be posting, you know, at least a couple articles uh, a month on my website. And... Um, I will post more on the DMs Guild essentially as time allows. You know, first I've got to get Exploring Eberron done, and as I said, we're mm. looking at February for that. Yeah. Uh, and then it's just going to be a question of, of you know, what's possible yeah. to do. I'm very excited to be able to write more, uh, but it's all the question. And also, in part, it's going to be about how does Exploring Eberron do? Because, of course, I have to keep food on my table. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, Going back to how you said um, the official policy is not to advance the sort of timeline or sort of meta plot of, of, of the setting, presumably, um, mm-hmm. well, not presumably, but um, is there a, a meta plot or timeline in your home game that has advanced? And uh, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what's, what's unofficially happened in Eberron, in your home game? Uh, see, in my home game, actually, I haven't advanced the meta plot that much. Like, this is the point, is I've never run a game where I've played in them, mm. but I've never run a game in which the answer to the morning has oh, been right, discovered, okay. in part because, to me, I'm much more interested in the Cold War flavor uh, that comes oh. with the answer being oh. unknown. That once the morning is explained, that will change the landscape of the world. And I like this moment. And so I've generally run campaigns that are actually almost smaller yeah. and focused. Like right now, I'm running two campaigns. One is in Kabara. Uh, and again, it's basically a Western. It's the people are in a dragon shard mining town on the edge of, of civilization. Uh, and so, as I said, you know, we're very focused on that area and uh, it's, it's Deadwood in Eberron, mm-hmm. basically. And so wow. it's not affecting the global situation because we're really focused on how it's evolving in that area. Uh, the other campaign I've been running is set in Kalistan. Kalistan is a very bad part mm-hmm. of Sharn. 
and it's very much a sort of gangs of New York, you know, uh, sort of dealing with the the local cr uh, crime elements uh, and just trying to survive in this really bad part of town. And so again, as I said, I focused more on going into depth in a smaller area than in changing the world as a whole. Uh, in one of my novels, you know, one of my novels, The Queen of Stone, is my favorite of my novels, you know, does deal with the nation of Droam uh, trying to get recognition uh, officially mm -hmm. as a nation. Um, and some of the other novels, you know, uh, I also really like Don Basinthwaite's uh, novels which change the landscape of mm. Dargoon. Uh, but like I said, I've always focused more on the, the sure. actions of the players okay. than actually change the world. Now, I was in a campaign where they did solve the morning and where basically we did end up at the end of that, played it through to, to you know level 20s and then started again essentially 30 years later. You know, saying, well, let's start 30 years down the road. These things have changed uh, and and thrown in, you know, new rulers and, and things Every, like that. Everyone awakens. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, you do have, to me, to me, part of the issue is that we are on an advance where arcane science is rapidly advancing. Mm. That oh. within the last hundred years, we've had warforged, we've had airships, we've had oh. wand slingers. Yeah. That to me, 30 years from now, things should be a lot different. Sure. Uh, if I was personally to do a 20 years later Eberron campaign, one of the things I would jump on would be the space race. Mm. I would absolutely yeah. want to, yes, I would absolutely want to have the five nations competing to get to the moons mm. and and play up a, a sort of space race theme that with that. Fun. Yeah. That really does sound oh. fun. So, oh, so you've never, you know, answered the morning question, no. even in your own uh, Part of the point is I have six easy go-to answers, which I posted. You know, it yeah. could have been House yeah. Kenneth uh, building a weapon yeah. that went horribly wrong. It could have been one of the overlords, the ancient, uh, you know, demons that yeah. once ruled the entire world, could have risen up and literally the morning is where it is because he's sitting there. But if he got up and started walking around, the morning might go with him. Mm. Uh, in one of my novels, the... Uh, the fading dream, uh, the Aladrin say, oh, it was basically just a big act of sympathetic magic. And everyone else says, that's stupid. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> that's what they say. Uh, and, you yeah. know, to me, it could be that, that the the children of winter are right. It could be that it was just an environmental buildup yeah. of you use too much war magic, eventually something bad happens. Um, and so each of these has a different impact when you when it's revealed the question is if it's a weapon then if someone can harness and use that weapon how do you stop yeah. them? if it's war magic then it means we can't dare go back to full-scale war mm -hmm. uh if it's an overlord then sooner or later they're going to start walking around now for me i've never answered it because what i am personally more interested in is the oh. impact of not knowing yeah, yeah. And, and so it's the Cold War is what I like, and that comes with the yeah. mystery. Uh, but as yeah. I say, any of those answers or, or more, you know, are perfectly good. And, and there are definitely all the kingdoms have got a research team yeah. feverishly oh, for sure. trying to work out just what happened. And that's, that's just like plot in itself. And, no, um, yep. Yeah. Um, um, oh, I did. I did. Sorry. Sorry, Russ. I, I did. Ha I did have a question that occurred to me, mm -hmm. which is that I have seen that there's been a Savage Worlds conversion 
of Everon. Yes, by um, Christian which, Serrano, yeah, yeah, co-host of Manifest Zone, uh, you know, potentially really? most popular yeah. podcast of 2019. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, no, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, I mean, that was really interesting uh, to me. Like, obviously, it is wholly owned by Wizards of the Coast, but has a game designer. Um, which settings do you think would... which rule systems you think would lend themselves well to converting the Everon setting uh, to them? Well, it's it's an interesting thing. I've never played Savage Worlds, but I've heard a lot of good things oh, sure. about it and about okay. Christian's conversion to it. Uh, I have personally used Eberron. I played Eberron in a system called Over the Edge, which is an old 90s yeah. uh, game, which just came out with a new edition, but I played it with the original edition. Uh, and I'm currently uh, have another version of my Kabar campaign that I'm running in what amounts to fiasco mm-hmm. that's just like a total uh-huh. just storytelling uh, system for a group of people. To me, it's all about each system works well. You know, each system does something well. And so it's really about what's your campaign about. Mm. If your campaign is about, you know, heist action sort of things, well, then run it in Blades in the yeah. Dark. You know, mm. I mean, uh, I don't think, you know, th- it is the nature of Eberron that it's designed to be able to tell almost any kind of story. And so given that, the system that's going to work well for it depends on, well, what is the flavor of story you want to tell? Um, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm still pretty happy with 5th edition too. So, you know, I don't have a, have a big issue there. I'll say my personal sort of preference of D&D settings is I always like the settings that move out of the vanilla fantasy, which is why things like mm-hmm. Ravenloft or things like Eberron and things like that tend to capture my imagination more than, say, they've got in Mountain which... You know, awesome though it mm-hmm. is, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's very... No, yeah. absolutely. And I, I love that sort of thing. But my, my first my first D&D setting, love, though, was probably Dragonlance. I think it was the first one. It was the novels, probably, that got me got me into D&D originally. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering what your sort of uh, D&D setting history was prior to Edmund. What were the, what were the so, ones that really spoke to you? So the thing is, I started with the, the white box and AD&D. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, I bought every module I could get my hands on, but I never ran any of them. I would always read them and just mine them for ideas and then do my own thing. I think the only one that I ran straight from the the book was Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, just because I loved it. And so it's the same with settings. I've never actually, I always made up my own settings. Uh, But, you know, certainly I was inspired by some things. And, and you know, that, again, is where we say with Eberron itself. You can run it as it is, but you can also take it and, and jump mm. off of it. Uh, so I will say the setting I, I found sort of most intriguing but have never played. So I've read all the Dragonlance books, for example, and, and Adventures. The setting that, that I've always been like, oh, someday I'll have to play in that is uh, Planescape. Right, of course. Yes. I loved oh. Planescape Torment. I actually worked with Zeb Cook in the computer game industry for a while. Um, and so I love the idea of Planescape, mm. but I've never actually played it uh, in pen and paper. Sure. Right. I think we oh. do need to wrap up. But, but thank you so much for coming it has on, been Keith. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really absolute pleasure having you on, Keith. Mm. 
Thanks. Oh, thanks so much. I think the last uh, and only and time I've ever met you was in a hotel lobby in was it Indy or was it? I can't. I think we've remember. I think we've we've crossed paths at Gen Con once or I twice was, for sure. I've, I've been to Gen Con in a but long yeah, time. but very briefly, yeah, very yeah. briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah but yeah. no, it's been absolutely oh. awesome having you on. You're welcome back anytime. Anytime you've got something else you want to talk about, absolutely. Just drop us a line. You are absolutely more than welcome. Despite the horrible time of the morning, it is for you over there. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, vote for um, both Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG yes. talk and the Manifest Zone on the uh, official. Yep. And I say it's official because I can, yep. even though that means nothing. But the official um, yep. favourite um, <laughs> RPG podcast of 2019. And we'll be announcing the results of those early yes. in the new year. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Pete. Yep. And we're going to head off now. So it's goodbye from me, Russ. That's goodbye from me, Pete Coffee, from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. And goodbye from Keith Baker. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash Morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here.